can all listen to the sunny side of sports. Great show, bro. This is sunny side of sports. Right here on the Voice of America. Voice of America. Sporty greetings to all our Voice of America listeners. This is VOA's Sonny Young in Washington. It's Feature Friday on the sunny side of sports. Papua Sugalum. It's a name recognized by only the most fanatical golf fans. Papua rose to prominence in the late 1950s when he won several international golf tournaments, the first African of color to achieve this. South Africa's white supremacist government, embarrassed by Papua's achievements and his status as a symbol of the brutality of apartheid, did its best to crush his talents. Darren Taylor filed this feature from Johannesburg. One of the most enduring and tragic images of the apartheid era is a photograph of Papua Sugalem eating a sandwich in a car in the parking lot of the Durban Country Club. It's 1963 and he's leading the Natal Open ahead of 103 white golfers. But he isn't allowed into the clubhouse because of the color of his skin. I met with a gentleman by the name of Ratif Waltman that played with my dad in 1963. And Ratif Waltman shared some stories about the tent area that was set aside for my dad in order for him to have his refreshments and change. Papua's son, Rajen, says the racist mistreatment didn't stop his father from winning the Open. In so doing, he became the first non-white person to win an event on the South African professional golf circuit. Later that year, Papua participated in the country's Open Championship, finishing a close second to compatriot and international golfing Hall of Famer, Gary Player. My dad was a caddy. And, you know, he learned his prowess around the golf course from being a caddy and for caddying for his white counterparts. Papua Sugalem was born in 1930 into a family of poor laborers on a sugar farm in the lush province of Natal. He'd watch golfers on a nearby course and imitate them, hitting stones with sticks of sugar cane. In the late 1950s, Papua was caddying for South African golfer Graham Wolfe. Wolf, impressed by his caddy's talent, arranged for him to try to qualify for the British, French, German and Dutch Open Championships. That is where he excelled. When he won the Dutch Open in 1959, that was the first out of three in a period of six years. For anybody that looks at the Dutch Open trophy itself, they will see names like Bernard Langer, Severiano Ballastoris and so on etched on that trophy. And having won the tournament and coming back to South Africa, it embarrassed the, the South African PGA. And more importantly, it was the British PGA that allowed my dad to play overseas before South Africa could accept him as a player. In 1965, Papua won the Natal Open for the second time, defeating his friend Gary Player. Player and other white golfers were visibly upset when Papua was forced to accept the trophy outside the Durban Country Club in the rain. He won national and international tournaments throughout the 1960s, raising the ire of the apartheid government. Golf journalist 
Selvan Naidu says it's tragic that Papua is more recognized in international golfing circles than locally. I don't think his story is told as readily as we want it to be told. Much of the older generation is very aware of the story and this tragic story of denial. What knows what would have happened, you know, if Papa would have, would have been discovered much earlier. He was discovered at 31 years old. Naidu says Papua Sugulam is far from the only lost black South African golfer. People like Vincent Chabalala, Richard uh, Mukwarayani, Simon Cox and Schlapo. You know, these are the great names that we ought to be telling in the broad uh, South African history so that our children remember these names and be able to take these names and allow themselves to be inspired to grow to greater heights and so that hopefully we we able to produce that Tiger Woods that all of us once in South Africa. Rajen says right now there's no chance of that happening because present-day golf authorities in the country and the African National Congress government have done little to develop golfers of colour since apartheid ended almost 30 years ago. At the height of apartheid, we produce far more playing professionals than we do now, and that is questionable. In the years that my dad won internationally, there hasn't been a single person of colour that has won in international tournaments subsequent to that. He points out that golf is an expensive sport, yet the state refuses to fund clubs in underdeveloped areas and won't subsidise talented black players. Rajen says golf courses in townships are run down. Unless you play on championship golf courses, only then are you able to produce a champion. Since the fall of apartheid, says Naidu, South Africa's produced a long string of world-renowned golfers, including Ernie Els and Retief Khursen. The latest crop includes Louis Oosthuizen, Charles Swartzel and Brandon Grace. That's great and reason to be proud, says Naidu. But they're all white. There's so few black uh, professional golfers making it out, even in the South African uh, tour. You know, golf's a hard game. It requires a lot of dedication and effort. You've got to put in the yards. Equally, we need government support. We need corporate support. We need individuals to come on board and see those kids from Kwamashu, Amlazi, Phoenix, Chatsworth, and so on come to the fore so that, uh, you know, we develop. And, and equally, we need to see a transformation in the schools. In 1970, South Africa's golf administrators finally gave in to pressure from apartheid's overlords banning Papua from the country's golf courses. Denied opportunities to pursue the game he loved and excelled at, Papua faded into obscurity and into poverty. He died a few years later in his sleep at the young age of 48. Rajan says cause of death was never established, but as far as he's concerned, Papua Sugulam died of a broken heart. For the sunny side of sports, I'm Darren Taylor in Johannesburg. Thanks, Darren. You hit a hole-in-one with that feature on the late South African golfer, Papua. VOA VOA Africa would like to hear from you. Send us a text message or a voice note on WhatsApp. 24-7. 24-7. Leave a comment, request, or send us a greeting, and you could be hearing your message on VOA Africa. Simply dial the international code plus one, then 202 258 
3076. We are always happy to hear from you. The number again is international code plus one, then 202-258-3076. VOA Africa, your trusted source for news, sports, entertainment and music. This is VOA's Sonny Young in Washington. And you're listening to the sunny side of sports on The Voice of America. Follow the sunny side of sports on Facebook and Twitter. My Facebook address is facebook.com forward slash VOA Sunny. And my Twitter handle is at VOA Sunny Sports. Turning to tennis, when Naomi Osaka revealed this week that she's expecting her first child in 2023, the Japanese star became the second former Australian Open champion in a week to announce her pregnancy. Osaka's news came soon after Ash Barty's own pregnancy reveal. Barty, the 2022 Australian Open champion, confirmed that she and husband Gary Kissick are set to welcome their first child together in 2023. Curiously, the announcements by Barty and Osaka continue a trend of pregnancies for former Australian Open champions. Five of the last six Australian Open women's winners, including American Serena Williams, are either pregnant or have had a baby. Ash Barty announced her retirement from tennis last year when she was ranked number one in the world. In this sunny side of sports highlight for 2022, VOA's Gwen Ooten looks back on Barty's goodbye. Sporty greetings, Gwen. Sporty greetings, Sunny. World number one women's tennis star Ash Barty made her stunning announcement on Instagram in March of 2022 during an interview with her close friend and doubles partner Casey Delequa, who sounded a bit unprepared to hear the news herself. Ash, it's always great to see you. I have a slight inkling. Um, I know why I'm here. I probably don't want to acknowledge it, but why am I here today? Um, yeah, I kind of wasn't quite sure how I was going to do this, but I think so many times in my life, both my professional and my personal, you've been there for me. Um, and I just couldn't think. There's no right way. There's no wrong way. It's just my way and this is perfect for me to share it with you to talk to you about it um with my team my loved ones that I'll be retiring from tennis and it's the first time I've actually said it out loud and um yeah it's it's hard to say but I'm so happy and I'm so ready and I just know at the moment in my heart for me as a person this is right 
Bardi's surprise exit came at the peak of her career. She won the French Open title in 2019 and Wimbledon in 2021. And at the start of 2022, she lifted her third Grand Slam trophy at the Australian Open in front of her home crowd. She's only the fifth woman to be ranked number one in the world for three consecutive years, and she seemed poised to reach even more success. But the now 26-year-old said she fulfilled all of her goals in the sport and admitted her perspective changed after achieving her dream of winning at Wimbledon. I wanted to win Wimbledon, which was my dream, my, the one true dream that I wanted in tennis. Um, that really changed my perspective, and I just had a, I just had that gut feeling after after Wimbledon, um, and had spoken to my team quite a lot about it, and. There was just a little part of me that wasn't quite satisfied, wasn't quite fulfilled, and then came the challenge of, of the Australian Open, and I think that for me just feels like the most perfect way, my perfect way, to to celebrate what an amazing journey my tennis career has been. 2022 marked her second retirement from the sport. She first retired in 2014, but returned to the court two years later and quickly rose up the rankings. Ultimately, Barty said her dislike for the touring life and time spent away from home had finally taken its toll. I know how much work it takes to to bring the best out of yourself, and I've said it to my team.、Um, Multiple times, it's just I don't have that in me anymore. I don't have the the physical drive, the emotional、um, want, and and kind of everything it takes to to challenge yourself at the very top of the level anymore. And I think I just know that I'm absolutely I I, I am spent.、Um, I just know physically I have nothing more to give, and that for me is is success. I've given absolutely everything I can、um, to to this beautiful sport of tennis, and. I'm really happy with that, and for me, that that is my success. Following her announcement, tributes poured in, honoring Barty as both an athlete and a role model in the sport. Australian Prime Minister Scott Morrison thanked Barty for quote inspiring a generation of young people, and particularly a generation of young Indigenous people in Australia. Former men's world number one Andy Murray of Britain tweeted. Happy for Ash Barty, gutted for tennis. What a player! Tennis Australia CEO Craig Tiley wrote, "Enjoy retirement and this next chapter of your life. We can't wait to support you in whatever you choose next." And friend and doubles partner Casey Delequa had this to say. I know I speak for so many、um, people, and to say thank you, thank you for everything that you've given to our sport. Um, having known you for so long, one thing I know is that you make decisions that are right for you, and they've always worked out. And you've done it your way, and I think that's really brave. I think that's really credible. And、um, so, thank you for everything that you've done for our sport. Thank you for giving us you, Ash Barty. And that is all from me, Sunny. Back over to you. Thanks, Gwen. That's my VOA colleague, Gwen Uten. Longtime tennis rivals Novak Djokovic and Rafael Nadal are on opposite halves of the 2023 Australian Open bracket, meaning the owners of a combined 43 Grand Slam singles titles 
could only meet in the final in Melbourne. Djokovic has won a record nine titles at the Australian Open, but he became a controversial topic of conversation after he was deported before the 2022 tournament because of his COVID-19 vaccination status. He'll begin his bid for a record-extending 10th Australian Open trophy against the Spaniard Roberto Carballas Baena in the tournament that begins Monday. After winning the Adelaide International Warm-Up event last weekend, Djokovic said it's already been a far better outcome than 12 months ago. I have enjoyed myself thoroughly, really, on and off the court. And um, uh, all the people that came to to watch me play and, and gave me a lot of support and love that made my... Uh, stay in Australia and also experience even more positive, even more better. I, I never, as I, as I said at the beginning at the first press conference, I don't hold any grudges. As I, I told you I had far many more positive experiences in Australia to you know, throw that away just because of what happened last week. Novak Djokovic emphasizes that he feels totally comfortable in Australia. Australian Open is the biggest reason why I'm here, but at the same time in Australia, but at the same time, I want to win every tournament that I play on, regardless of the level of the tournament. So, I mean, I love playing in, in Australia. <laughs> I mean, my results are testament to that. I wouldn't be able to play so well in a place where I don't feel well. So I look forward to Melbourne. Rod Laver Arena is probably my most, no, it probably, it certainly is my most successful court in my career. Novak Djokovic speaking ahead of Monday's start of the Australian Open Tennis Tournament. On the women's side in Melbourne, world number one Iga Sviantek of Poland will play Germany's Julie Niemeyer in her opening match. And the number two seed among the women, Tunisia's Anz Jabir, will take on Slovenia's Tamara Zadancic. This is Sony Sports. <laughs> More tennis news to crow about. Craig Gabriel has results from an Australian Open warm-up event in Adelaide. To the best of my memory, I cannot remember a situation where neither semi-finalist had to pick up a racket and they got to the final. That's what happened in the women's semis at the Adelaide International. Daria Kasatkina was due to play Palabadosa, and Belinda Bentic, the Olympic gold medalist, was due to play Veronica Kudometova. Badosha and Kudometova both withdrew, and Bentic and Kasatkina got walkovers into the final and avoided being in 37 degrees Celsius heat. In the men's, Quan Soon Wu will play Roberto Bautista Agut. Quan ended the run of Jack Draper, 7-6-6-7-6-3. Draper admitted to feeling the heat a bit in the final set and said it may have cost him a step or two in his movement. Quan is only the second Korean player to reach a final in Australia. The last was Lee Hong Taik in Sydney, which he won in 2003. Lee started his run from the qualifying rounds at 20 years ago, and that's how Quan started his run to this final in Adelaide. Under the lights, Bautista Agut reached the final with a 7-6-3-6-6-3 result over hometown favorite and title holder Thanasi Kokonakis. Bautista Agut seems to relish the start of the tennis season. Over the years, he's won four titles in the month of January. Kokonakis said it was like playing a brick wall. He had 12 break points and was only able to break serve on one occasion in the two-hour, 34-minute clash. And it was very high-level tennis. Craig Gabriel, VOA Sports, Adelaide. Thanks, Craig. Samson Omale joins us once again with a big package of African sports news. 
Sporty Friday greetings, Samson. Sporty Friday greetings to you too, Sonny. We begin the wrap of Africa Sports Highlights for this weekend in Algeria, where the seventh edition of the African Nations Championship will get underway on Friday night. The competition, which is meant exclusively for home-based players playing in their domestic leagues, will feature 18 countries. CAF President Patrice Musepe said the African Nations Championship in Algeria will be a great success. We are in one of the greatest football nations on the African continent. That makes us very, very proud. We are in Algeria, proud football nation, proud football history. One of the participating teams is the Black Galaxies of Ghana. They have arrived in Constantine, one of the venues for the championship where they will be based for the group stage of the 2022 African Nations Championship. Ghana is making a return to the Chang competition for the first time in eight years after missing out of the competition since 2014. Coach of the Black Galaxies, Anor Walker, says this time around they are in the tournament to win. We are here to win the tournament. Yes, we are here. We don't come. We didn't come here uh, to come and joke. We didn't come here to come and look how Algiers uh, town is. We came for a purpose, and um, we came also to uh, to win the cup. The Black Galaxies will face Madagascar, Sudan and Morocco in the group stage. Another side that will be hoping to improve on their last performance will be Uganda. The Cranes are in Group B alongside Cote d'Ivoire, Senegal and Congo DR. Their first match will be against Congo DR on Saturday. Leader of the Ugandan delegation to the tournament is Apollo Ahumbasibwe. He is confident that the Cranes of Uganda will do well considering the kind of preparations they had leading to the tournament. After 10 days of being in Tunisia, remember we had another 10 days in Uganda, having a local camp. And the objective of this was to have acclimatization. As you can see, the weather in Tunis is uh, very bad. It's very cold. It's raining. And this was the major reason why we came here. First of all, to get the fitness of the players, because we have had three friendly games against Mali, uh, against... uh, Cameroon and uh, all these games we drew but we have so many positives that we took out of them we have a lot of fit players right now and we are scoring and we think that we are ready for, for the tournament Staying with football news, Tanzania Premier League side Simba Sports Club will play two friendly matches in Abu Dhabi, the United Arab Emirates, this weekend. Fresh from signing a new coach, Roberto Oliveira, Simba SC has been camping in UAE for a few days now as they prepare for the remaining second-round matches of the Tanzania Premier League and the group stage of the CAF Champions League. Simba SC are expected to face Russian professional side CSKA Moscow on January 15th in Abu Dhabi, but before facing the team from Europe, Simba will face UAE side Al Dafa FC on Friday. Robert Oliver speaks on why the friendlies are important to the East African football side. Our strategy try, okay, uh, check our players in first half and second half. Fabric this is because my objective after a friendly game and prepare building 11 players for a start game. It will be my objective. About that, we bring the decision about the two friendly games because we cannot, uh, for example, play three, four friendly games because mm. we need to give priority for 
physical condition, you understand? Mm -hmm. It's very important. About that, I am very happy. Good program, good performance, good feedback. Uh, the players understand very fast uh, new mentality, a new objective. It's football, football, professional, modern football. In tennis news, the ITF CAT Western Central Africa Junior Individual and Teams Championships got underway on Monday in Togo and will end on Saturday. The competition, which is organized by the Confederation of African Tennis in conjunction with the International Tennis Federation and the Federation Togolese de Tennis, with the support of the Grand Slam Development Fund, is being hosted at the Stade Omina Sports Ayedema a and ATT tennis club in Lome. Nigeria's Ohunene Yakubu won gold in the under 16 girls category, while the duo of Khadijat Muhammad and Gapo won the under 14 girls double gold. Other winners include Bright Imano and Indidi Osaji. However, the Nigerian victories have been overshadowed by the disqualification of several players from Nigeria for not meeting the requirements for the age grade competition. Shegun Aloko is the president of the Tennis Parents Players Association. He gives reasons why some of the Nigerian players are being disqualified. We were told that uh, we did not register the adequate number of players required to participate in the boys 14 and under um, singles and doubles events, then the girls 16 and under uh, 16 and, um, singles and doubles events. So for that reason, those categories were not allowed to participate in the team's events, except for the 16 boys, uh, 16 boys and girls, uh, 16 boys. Then for the 14 girls, we are allowed to participate. And now to East Africa, where the Uganda Handball Federation will soon embark on preparing the national teams due to participate in the All African Games in Mauritius, as well as the Challenge Trophy in March this year. Several camps have opened across Uganda to attract talents that can be discovered through proper coaching and mentoring and can be selected to represent the country. Shilia Agungzibwe, president of the Uganda Handball Federation, says the federation is also targeting schools with young stars interested in playing handball. They are not preparing for any tournament, but they are playing the game because they like it and they want to be placed in better schools. And schools, again, as we talk about schools, those who are involved in the league also have camps. Like if you went to Kawanda now, they are training. Uh, a school in Luzira is also training. Staying with Uganda, the Rugby Premier League will kick off this weekend with five games across the board. The 33rd edition of the Men's Top Flight Rugby League in Uganda will kick off on Saturday, January 14th, 2023. Isaac Lotwama is the CEO of Uganda Rugby Union. It will not be easy for uh, teams to just come in and think that this is uh, the usual um, you know, hustle and bustle of the league, but I think it's going to be very competitive. Staying with rugby news, the Kenyan National Rugby Sevens team, the Shuja, will compete in the World Rugby Sevens Series, which begins on January 21st. Kenya Sevens will renew their rivalry with Fiji at the Hamilton Sevens in New Zealand when the World Rugby Sevens Series resumes after the Christmas break. The series took a six-week festive season break after three legs. In cricket news, the stage is now set for the inaugural ICC Under-19 Women's T20 World Cup 2023. The inaugural Under-19 Women's T20 World Cup will see 16 teams compete in the tournament, which will start on the 14th of February and will comprise a total of 41 matches. It will be followed by the ICC Women's T20 World Cup 2023, which also begins in South Africa from the 9th of February.
Rwanda and Zimbabwe are the other African representatives at the first ICC Under-19 Women's T20 World Cup. Ohulie Sio is South Africa Under-19 captain and Getika Kadali is USA captain. They both described the inaugural World Cup as a good initiative for women age grade cricket. I think we, we take the pressure as a privilege, to be honest. Um, being at home, um, we're in our comfort, and we're using that to the best of our advantage. Um, the girls are feeling the pressure, but as I said, we're turning it into positives, and um, I think we're going to really go out there and show something big. I'm so excited to be a part of the first ever World Cup for Under-19. Um, it's actually USA's first World Cup since 2010, so we're all bubbling, ready to get on that field and do our absolute best. Bubbling with enthusiasm, that's Gatika Kadali, the captain of Team USA for the Under-19 Cricket World Cup. And thanks to Samson O'Malley for that bubbly and spicy and sporty-licious package of African sports news. And that wraps up the January 13th edition of the show. Thank you for tuning in. I get it. I hope you have a nice and sporty weekend. Sonny Young in Washington. And that's the sunny side of sports.